When I was in elementary school, my family lived in a little town across the border into the state of Illinois uh, named Robinson. I remember very clearly in my mind that day. That day started off really, really nice. It was beautiful weather. It was sunny out. And that was perfect because my parents were headed off to a church social that day. And they were going to take the ice cream that my sister and I were sitting on. You remember the old ice cream makers you set on there and you put a little salt and a little, little ice in there and you cranked it out? Well, that was my job. I was sitting on top to keep it stable. My sister was cranking out the ice cream for my parents to take. And I remember um, the weather just, audit, just seemingly, at least from a child's perspective, just changing so radically. A storm blew in. And it was a severe one. I mean, it got really, really dark, thunder and lightning, and then it rained heavy. And then, strangely enough, which I hadn't seen or didn't remember I was seeing at that age, it hailed. And it hailed, and it came down strong, and then all of a sudden, literally, it was like someone turned it off like that. There was no rain, and there was no hail, just silence. And it was really eerie, and I should have known something awful was coming. My mom was on the back porch with us, And she had just walked inside, and she was making a phone call. She was telling the person in charge of the church social they were going to be a little late because of the weather. And she was on the phone, and then she heard it. We had a tornado that came down the end of our block over our neighbor's house. Didn't touch their house, but it had already wrecked, completely destroyed two other houses. I mean, obliterated them about a block and a half away from that. Uh, Neither one of the families... By God's grace, they were both on vacation. So there was no one in either house, but they were completely destroyed. And it came down the street, and I'm not exaggerating to tell you, when I said my mom heard it coming, she did. It sounded like a freight train. And it came right down our block. My mom screamed and ran to see if everyone was okay. And when she did, like six or eight paint paint cans from our neighbor's garage... Through, flew through the window right where she was standing on the phone and into our kitchen and exploded all over the floor. And I remember after it was over, there was a 15-foot boat in our backyard from a, a, a boat, a house a couple blocks away. We had lumber all in our yard. There was a beam that went, I don't even know where the beam came, but it came right through the ceiling of our living room. I, I remember how awful and scary it was. And I remember there were tons of... Uh, leftovers from other, not leftovers, things blown into our yard from other people's yards, and it was crazy. In fact, I remember thinking when I was on the back porch watching the tornado come down the street, I ran into the house thinking, we're going to (laughs) die. We're going to die. I thought it was over that day. Um, Storms. Maybe you don't have a storm like that to describe or to tell that storm story in your life, but we all face storms. Hopefully not like tornadoes or hurricanes, but we all face them, and they're just as real, aren't they? And sometimes they're emotional storms, psychological storms, sometimes they're personal, very personal, relational, and even spiritual storms that we all face. And if we went around today and gave a mic to everyone here, I'm sure you could tell a storm story of your own. Um, We've been looking at Jesus's miracles in Mark, and in chapter 4, It describes the storm story of the disciples. It was their first one with Jesus. By the way, it wouldn't be their last one. 
because just two chapters later in Mark 6, Jesus walks on the water and he comes out to meet them in another storm. So here's what they're beginning today, this day, to expect, that with Jesus there's going to be storms in their lives. See, and I don't know, the Bible doesn't say exactly, but history tells us that whoever was the witness that Mark used to write this gospel and to record this story, most people think it was Peter because they were related. And, and perhaps Peter, but he, listen, just like it was for me in that day, when I look back at the storm that I had, it, it, literally I, I was talking to my sisters about it to make sure I got all the details right, and my sisters were telling it like it happened yesterday. And look at the storm story that Peter records through Mark. See, he tells about other little boats that were out with Jesus. Now, see, I didn't normally think of the storm that way. I thought it was Jesus and the only little boat he had. But there were other boats, and it told him how the storm came up and how it was beating into the boat, and it was filling with water. And all the details, you know why? Because Peter is reliving it. When he tells Mark this story, he's remembering it like it was still very vivid in his mind. And that's why I think Mark puts in the text, on that day... Maybe that's what Peter told him. Mark, I remember that day. See, the chapter begins with Jesus in a boat. But he's in a boat when it's calm and he's teaching. And the chapter ends, verse 36, little bracket of the whole chapter. He's in a boat again, but this time it's not a boat right off the shore. It's out in the middle. Not in the calm, but he's out in a storm. See, the whole chapter is about Jesus and his words, and his authority in lecture form. The whole chapter is a whole day, that day, meaning the same day that Jesus had been teaching all day. He'd been telling people about the kingdom. He had taught them all kinds of things. But now there was a new lesson for his disciples. In fact, in the text, it says, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Teach. See, Jesus is the teacher. He's the rabbi. And he has been teaching them all day. But there's a difference between a lesson that is lecture form and one that is lab form. And Peter remembers this. I remember that day, the day of the storm, the day that we thought that we were going to die, just like I thought I was going to die. The day that we were so afraid, Peter says, the day, listen to this, the day that we thought that we knew who Jesus was and what he could do, but we really didn't. See, Peter might say in jest, it kind of blew us away that day, no pun intended. See, do you remember that day for you? I'm sure you do. You remember that storm, your storm? See, that day that you were served the divorce papers, you remember that day? Because it came out of the blue. You really weren't expecting it. That day that your company called you, your boss, into the office and said, oh, by the way, we're eliminating your position. And you know what that means. That day, that day that you got the results back from the doctor's office and there was a spot or there was something in you and they said it's, it's serious. See, that day when your loved one suddenly passed away and you were... Not ready for it, to say the least. That day, that day, see, when the storm came and you thought that you knew who Jesus was. You thought you really knew what he was capable of. But the storm taught you different. You really didn't know what you thought you knew. See, you had known about Jesus, and you do. You're here today, right? You're here in church. 
You've gone to Sunday school class. You've heard lessons. You know this storm story, don't you? You have the lecture form down. Jesus has taught it to you. But what about the lab part of it? Do you have that down? You see, what Mark wants you and I to know today is this. Jesus is the Lord of every storm, including your storms. There has to be, and I know you'll agree, there is a difference between Jesus as lecture Lord of your life and lab Lord of your life. Isn't it easy when you're on the shore and everything's good? You can say, Jesus is Lord. He's in control. I trust him. And when he's teaching it or you hear it in church and everything is smooth in your life, it's easy to say, oh, I trust him. I do. But it's different from lecture Lord to lab Lord, isn't it? It's different to trust Jesus on the shore as it is to trust him on the sea, isn't it? I mean, when everything's calm or the wind and the waves are beating your ship, see, it's quite another thing. Between this day when everything's going well and that day, that day that you'll never forget, that day that you'll always remember, that day that changed your life, see, will you trust him on that day? That's what Mark wants to know. He wants to know how you're going to respond and how well do you really know him? So there's two things we're going to see about Jesus' power. Can I look at those with you? Two lessons he's going to teach us. And we find it in two different categories. The first one is the most obvious, and that is Jesus rebukes the storm. In his own words, Jesus says to the disciples in verse 35, you can see it in the text, let us go to the other side. So I want you to know up front, when your storms come into your life, they're all Jesus' ideas. It wasn't the disciples' ideas to go across the Sea of Galilee. You know why? Because Jesus was headed to the southeastern shore. And you said, thank you for the geography tip, but that means nothing to me. Well, it's going to mean something to you next week when we see why he went to the other side. Because he's going over to the region of the Gentiles. And no God-fearing Jew would ever step on the soil of that region because Gentiles live there. And you'll know why next week when you come and you hear why. So he's going to a place they would never want to go, and it's his idea. And so he says, let's go across to the other side, and they do. And the storm comes. Now, you got to know something about storms on the Sea of Galilee. I've been not in the storm, but I've been on the Sea of Galilee. And you have to know, they don't have meteorologists back then. There is no new six storm tracker Right? They're not having someone saying, now we, this was a watch, but now we've elevated it to a warning because it's, no one's saying that to them. They're not telling you how high the waves are that day that you shouldn't go out there. There isn't somebody on the shore saying, oh, it's not good. None of that's happening, see? It's because, see, Jesus says that in our lives, the storms come and they come unexpectedly. See, there is no warning. There's no watch for it. They come quickly. In fact, if you know anything about the geography, again, the topography of that area, there's surrounding of mountains, and then the sea, it drops to 10,000 feet feet below the sea level. And that's because then the storms come in, and they come in so fast and so, so furious, if I can say it that way, and the winds are blowing, and it can be literally a monstrous storm. Now, again, in this boat, which is about 15 feet long and about eight and a half feet wide, holds about 15 people. These fishermen are professional. These have been doing this their whole life. So they know all about storms. They know how quick the storm can come in. And they know this one is a severe one. 
but they've handled them before. But see, this one's different. And you may think, oh, there's storms that come. I've handled things before. But see, there's one that comes on that day that you're not ready for. And this one's different. This one is called, in verse 37, the mega one. That's the word. This is a great windstorm, a mega windstorm. It's huge. This is not like any other storm they've ever faced. And notice two things about Jesus' power in this storm. He's sleeping on a cushion which would have been under in the stern, which is the back of the boat. He's sleeping under a covered area, and they have to get on their knees, and they have to grab him, and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? I mean, look, we're dying here. Jesus stands up, and he says these words. Ready? Peace, be still. Interesting Greek words. The word peace means to be silent. We would say today, hush. It's the exact same words Jesus used in Mark 1.25 to cast out demons. The demons were trying to say things about Jesus, and here's what he says. Be silent. Don't say another word. If you're rude enough today, you might say, shut up. And that's what Jesus says to the storm. Shut up. Don't say another word. Don't even do a thing. And then he follows it up with the second word, be still. To the waves, he says, be quiet. To the, to the, I'm sorry, to the wind he says, be quiet. But to the waves he says, be muzzled. Keep shutting up, we might say. Now, here's what you got to know. Do you see Jesus' power? Here's what his power is like. He doesn't get out his wand and go, abracadabra. He's not like, and some of you older people get this, it's not like Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments. Remember that? He's going to divide the waters and go down the Red Sea and he gets out his rod, stand still and see the salvation of God. Remember that? He doesn't call on God. He doesn't say God's going to use this rod. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't raise his staff. He doesn't do anything. He just says two words, be quiet. That's it, two words. One commentator said he's showing the pinky of his power. His pinky. You know why? He just says two words. Because this storm is nothing for him. But he doesn't just rebuke the wind. He rebukes the waves. Two words, two things happen. When he says it, the wind is calm and the waves are calm. And in fact, the Bible says this, a great calm comes, verse 39. Mega storm, mega calm. Now here's it. Have you ever been on the ocean or on the sea? And it's very, very windy. And all of a sudden, the wind dies down. What do you know? Now, Jesus could have said, be quiet. And the wind would have stopped. And people would have said, ah, yeah, that could happen to anybody. You could explain that away. But when the wind stops, listen, and the water stops immediately. See, you can't get that. That's not possible any other place. See, the wind can blow, but here's what happens. It doesn't say, and they watch the waves over the next five or ten minutes slowly calm down. Because you know if, I, if the wind's been going for quite a while and it stops, you get a really, really huge surf. And it's, it's almost terrifying. But someone who can say to the wind and it stops immediately and the water becomes like glass, see, mega calm, instant calm, Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. You know what Mark's trying to tell you and I this morning in our storms? 
There's nothing that matches the power of Jesus. There is no power, no storm that you face today. There's no encounter or experience that you're going to have that Jesus isn't more powerful than. His power is incomparable. It is unparalleled. And you can say any power you want, and his power is greater. So I tell you this morning, it really doesn't matter how out of control the storms on the outside of your life may be this morning. They are no match for Jesus. He is the Lord of the storm, and he is more powerful, hear me, than any storm that you have faced, any storm you are facing, or any storm that you will face. Ancient people in Jesus' day believed, because storms were so powerful, that they were symbolic of the power of evil. That when you went out on the water, you were taking a chance because that's where all the monsters and sea monsters and all the evil powers were. And that's when when storms came up and, and boats were wrecked. They knew it because that's the power. And it also was this. It was a symbol of the impotence of human beings. Because when you went out on the water and you were under a storm, in a, in a terrible storm, here's, you had no power over it. You couldn't control anything. You were at its mercy. In fact, so much so, Revelation 21 and verse 1 says that in the future, in the new heaven and new earth, here's what it says, and there will be no more sea. You know what that meant to 21st, I mean, first century people? That someday God is going to take care of all the evil powers. They won't be here anymore. And see, they thought that the sea represented the evil powers And who can take care of the evil powers? Who's the only one who's stronger than the devil and stronger than anything that you'll face? Who's the only one? And the answer to everyone in the Bible would be, and to us this morning, God. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Hear me. Do you know what he's saying then? By calming the wind and the waves, Jesus is not just saying, I have power. He's saying, I am God. I have divine power. He's not just saying, I have power, I am power. It's not just mega power I'm displaying. I'm displaying the fact that I am the mega God. See, Jesus doesn't say and refer to a higher power. He doesn't call it a higher power because there is no higher power. He is the higher power. See, he's the higher power. Psalm 89.9 says this of God. You rule the raging sea, When its waves rise, you still them. God, you still them. Psalm 107 says, And when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves and the sea were hushed. That's what it says, hushed. They got quiet. Can I tell you, know this in your storm. Know this about Jesus. He doesn't just display great power. He is the great God. So verses 37 and 38 say the waves are breaking into the boat. That means it's coming over the top. And they're getting swamped. They can't bail fast enough. It's already filling up, it says. And so they cry out to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And literally in the Greek it means this. You care that we are perishing, don't you? I mean, they're questioning him. Have you ever done that? You ever been in the middle of a storm and you thought this was your big one? 
This is the mega one for you. You don't know how you're going to withstand it. You don't know how you're going to recover or if you're going to recover from it. And you begin to think in your mind and question in your mind whether Jesus' love for you is compatible with the storm, the terrible storm that you're facing. Have you ever thought, Jesus, you have fallen asleep in my greatest hour of need. I call to you, and I get nothing, no answers. I've heard people tell me, I thought if Jesus was in my boat, my marriage wouldn't be sinking. If Jesus was in my boat, why is my health sinking? Why are my finances sinking? Why are my children sinking? Why is my emotional stability sinking? Casting crowns, we're going to see this song in a little bit. One of the verses says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. Have you ever said that? God, it's still raining. I call to you. I read the word. I come to church. I pray. I seek your face. It's still raining. And then a day goes by, and a week goes by, and a month goes by, and here's what you say. You say, God, amen, I call to you again. It's still raining. Sometimes, don't we think, that being a disciple of Jesus and following him means that it's okay. We'll have little storms, but not big ones. Not the mega storms. Can I give you a principle to live by? If you start with the premise that Jesus' caring power cannot allow you to go through storms, then all of your conclusions will be wrong. It's hard for us, isn't it? He's all-powerful, but he's all-loving. But how does storms? See, storms confuse that with me. Because he has the power. He's demonstrated. He has to just say the word, and it's like glass. So why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? And that's where our response comes in, and that's lesson number two. See, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, but in the text, he also rebukes the disciples. Jesus is normally very patient, isn't he? Gentle. He has a lot of patience for people, but in this text, he doesn't. He upbraids them. He goes after the disciples, and he says this to them, why, in verse 40, why are you so afraid? And I'm thinking, here's the dialogue I made up. Why are you so afraid? Here's the disciples talking this. Did you see the storm? You're going to ask me, why am I afraid? Are you kidding? Right? Did you see the storm? Did you see the waves that are not just out there, but they're now in here? Do you see how fast we're bailing and making no progress Do you see how much time we have left? And it's not much. Do you see that, Jesus? And then I feel that Jesus might return with these comments. Did you see me? See, didn't you see the leper I cleansed just a few days ago? Didn't you see the man with the withered hand that had it restored? Didn't you see the demons cast out? See, you saw the storm but you didn't see me. So he says to them, listen, 
Have you still no faith? And I'm telling you, for me this week, in my meditation on it, the word still wrecked me. You know why? He's saying still, and it's a Greek word that means not yet. You know what Jesus is asking him? I know this is a big storm, and I know that you're in the middle of it, but do you not yet trust me? Have you not seen my power? Have you not seen what I can do? Have I not demonstrated that so far that I love you more than anybody else possibly could? Do you still not see it? Do you still not see me? We would say today this. What's it going to take? Have you ever asked someone, what's it going to take for you to believe me? What's it going to take for you to see, Jesus would say, who I really am? What's it going to take that when the storm comes in your lives, especially the big ones, what's it going to take for you ever to really learn to trust me? And I've come to the conclusion after reading this text that trusting Jesus in the storm for Christians is not automatic. It's not. It's not just a spiritual given. You can't just take it for granted. Responding to the big ones in life, not in fear, but in faith, is not something that just happens because you're a Christian. I've come to the realization that you have to have a history with God. You have to know who he is and have a history with him so that you can see how he works and what he can do. And I think Jesus is saying that exact same thing to them. Do you still not have faith? Meaning, you haven't seen all the other things? Have you not been with me, David and Goliath? Remember that? Wouldn't you agree with me, literally, that Goliath was the mega storm for David? I mean, he's big. I mean, nine feet tall, whatever it was. Big. And the day that he comes out there, little scrawny David comes out with his slingshot and a few stones he picks up, and he is, I'd almost say, spiritually cocky. He goes out there and he's not afraid. Listen, Saul and everybody else, Saul bigger than everybody else, 40 days, nobody will fight him. Nobody, not even the most seasoned veteran warriors. David does. He doesn't even waste any time. He just picks up some stones and walks out there and he says, today I'm going to feed your carcasses to the birds. Wow, that's pretty trash talk, isn't it? Where does he get that from? How does he think that he can fight and defeat Goliath? Well, he tells him earlier when he talks to Saul and says, I'll go and fight him for you. And you know why? Because when I was keeping my dad's sheep, a lion came up and I defeated the lion. And then another day, a bear came up and I defeated him. See, he had little storm stories. David did. He said, you know what? A bear is one thing and a lion is one thing. They're little, but to face nine-foot Goliath with all of his armor and all of his weaponry, you know how I can face the big storm stories? Because I've got little ones. I've learned to trust God. I've learned that no matter how much bigger the foe is, a lion or a bear, God, they're not as big as you. They're not as strong as you. They're bigger than me, all of them, and even the biggest one. But God, you're more powerful than any of them. Here's what David knew. Hear me. Because he loved God and followed God, it didn't mean that there weren't lions and bears and Goliaths in his life. He did not think for a moment that following God and obeying God's word meant he was exempt from having stories. You know why? Because here's what he also believed about God. That God was powerful enough to handle any lion or bear or Goliath that ever came his way. Now, I would say this. 
When Jesus talked to the disciples and he got after them, I say today if he was here, he would get after us more. You know why? Because we live on this side of the cross. And so if we said to Jesus in our mega storms, don't you care that I'm perishing? You know what I think he'd say back? Don't you care that I perished for you? He's saying, listen, you know the greatest storm? Listen, the, most great, the greatest storm you'll ever face in your life is what will you do with your sin? And the greatest storm is not ever out on the water and it's not even happening in your home today, as great as they might be. The greatest storm that you'll ever face is between you and God and his wrath and judgment and condemnation for your sin and for mine. See, that's the greatest storm you'll ever face. And here's what Jesus says, I died for that storm. I took your storm. I absorbed the winds and the waves, the things that should have destroyed you. I took them for you. I could tell you the time. If we had the time, I'd tell you the parallels between Jesus and Jonah. They both were asleep on a ship out in the middle of a storm, and everybody woke up both up on the ship, and they cried out to them. Here's the difference. Jonah was sinful. They had to throw him into the sea to have it stopped. Jesus was sinless. And he threw himself into the sea for our sins. See, he took your storm. He took your storm. So can I argue from the greater to the lesser? If Jesus has battled and conquered with his power, your greatest storm ever that you'll ever face, your sin, if he's defeated it and you belong to him, what about any other storm you face? Will they not be lesser? Listen to how Paul frames it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Hear the question. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you get what Paul's saying? Listen, listen. If you're a child of God, Jesus didn't spare his son for you. That's your storm. How will he not give you everything else you need? Don't we have to come to the conclusion that if Jesus is all-powerful, he's also all-wise? Now, in this, and I, I close with this, you know, in the storm story that Mark records, it says that when the storm was howling and raging, they were mega afraid Jesus says, peace be still. After the storm is over, it says, and they were mega afraid. <laughs> Why? Because, you know, they came to this conclusion. The storm was super powerful, and they couldn't control it. But you know what made them more afraid than the storm of the storm? Jesus is more powerful than the storm, and we can't control him either. See, if he is that powerful to be able to say, I can speak to the storms, listen, isn't he wise and powerful enough to know what we need in our lives more than we do? Doesn't he know that some storms are made for you and for your life and you need to go through them so that you'll learn to trust him? To realize he is powerful but yet loving? The two beavers in C.S. Lewis's book, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, were talking to a little girl named Lucy and she was going to meet Aslan. 
And she was worried about it because she realized how great and big and powerful was. She was a little girl and he was a lion. And so they're talking to the beavers in the story. And the beavers are saying, oh, he's amazing. He's so powerful. And she was afraid of them. And so she asked Mrs. Beaver, is he safe? And she says, oh, no. Oh, no. He's not safe. But he's good. See, that's... Jesus in our lives. Is he safe? No, no. You can't control him. He's got more power than you can ever imagine. But know this, he's good. He'll never take you to a storm and through a storm that he can't handle and that is not the best thing for you to learn to be more like him. John Newton, I've been reading more about him lately. He's a Puritan writer and was a pastor in London a couple hundred years or so ago. He wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote another poem, many more actually, when he had gone through a very difficult time in his life, his own storm, and he wrote these words. His love in time past forbids me to think. He would leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer let me wrestle And he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Isn't that good? See, you can smile at the storm, and it doesn't matter what it is you're facing. You can smile at it. You know why? Jesus is in the vessel, and he's all powerful, and he's good. Let's pray. I don't know for those of you this morning who are going through storms in your life, I don't know what they are. Maybe it's the mega one. It's the big one you're facing this morning. They come in all shapes and sizes, do they not? But I know this. Without knowing your storm, I know you're God. Jesus is Lord of the storm. He's Lord of your storm. Would you see him in it today? Would you see how powerful he is and how good he is, you can trust him. Would you tell him that with your head bowed and eyes? Would just tell him, Lord, it's so easy to be afraid because I'm looking around at the winds and waves, but I want to look at you. I want to see you. I'm going to trust you. Be the Lord of my storm. Would you tell him that? Father, I pray for those who quietly go through their storms. Some people are so afraid today, so afraid. They don't know the outcome. They don't know the future. They don't know what's going to happen. God, may they know that they're in your hands and that you're with them in the vessel. Father, may they be surprised as they yield their lives to you that they can, too, smile at the storm. Smile at it. Help them to have that kind of faith in, the replace, in, in place of the fear. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.